evening we're going to be in 1 Kings 11. Okay, so the last time we looked at the Queen Sheba's visit to Israel to visit Solomon, we looked at his multiplication of wealth, we looked at his multiplication of horses, Uh, today we're going to look at his multiplication of women, as I've said before, Solomon could have been a math major, he did a lot of multiplication. Uh, We're also going to look at the multiplication of idols, and certainly God's rebuke as a result. God is a long-suffering God, but at some point he has to deal with sin. We covered the last few chapters and we spoke about the forbidding of all this hoarding, really it's a a hoarding mentality that he had, and we'll look at the heart issue behind that hoarding, and we can find that these prohibitions against these, you know, multiplications in his life in Deuteronomy 17. So if you're following with us, you'll see the steps that we've covered. So I'm going to jump into verse 1, 1 Kings 11. It says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, for they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart as God said. So King Solomon had again 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, paramours, lovers, you know, it's a it's not good. <laughs> you get the picture. And harems are common even to today where a king or somebody a dignitary of some type of country will have many women that belong to him, so to speak. But it's really sad when somebody who is a de facto spiritual leader for the Jewish nation set a bad example. He probably in history had the biggest harem, right? And again, this was not, God said, one man, one woman, join together. How do you join with one man and a thousand women, you know? And it's bad enough that he had all these women, but he had foreign women. Now, not to be xenophobic, in other words, fear or disdain for foreigners, but the pagans at that time, don't, sometimes we take the Bible and we look at society, American culture, and we make the wrong application. The pagan peoples of the, that day worshipped grotesque, murderous, and demonic beings. And God said, you're supposed to be the light to the nation. You're supposed to show them me, in a sense but you're allowing them to pollute your mind with all their demon beings. How does that happen? I think what's, you know, again, I'm going to throw my conjecture in here, my opinions, what I think, and I'll tell you when the difference is between Scripture and and what I'm thinking here. But I notice, and I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this guy, because this is it. After this, we're going to go to the next chapter, and we're not going to be talking about Solomon for a while. But he seemed to... The, the focus seems to be on all the foreign women. Did he even have any Hebrew women, any Jewish women? I don't know, maybe a few. Again, it seems very odd for a quasi-spiritual... Remember, if you were the king of Israel at the time, you were a quasi-spiritual leader. So it seems very odd. 
I also read, which disturbed me, <laughs> I had to go into my Greek and Hebrew, my Hebrew, in verse 1 where it says Solomon loved these women. Well, it's certainly not agape love. Um, when you look in Hebrew, contextually, it could also mean a sexual affection for. And again, when the Bible was written, over time, our vernacular changes, our understanding of words. So, unfortunately, today in society, love can mean anything. And we talked about that when I covered the Greeks and how many different words they used for love. So he had a sexual affection for them, and I've said it before, I've listened to a lot of teachings of the Bible over the last few decades, and the pulpits have been silent on Solomon, what I consider a sex addiction. Uh, you don't hear much of that, and to me, I don't know how, what else you can deduce from this. The Bible says that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and this was part of that evil. Verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So in addition to his hoarding of material things and women, and I suppose after a thousand women, they must have been just objects to him, but he also hoards now these false gods, these demons. Um, it says, when Solomon was old. Remember, Satan is very patient. You know, if he can make a fool of us, if he can make us a bad witness, and it takes him 10, 20, 30, 40 years to do it, he's got no problem with that. He's been around for a long time. And when Solomon was old, he became a really bad witness, and he was the quintessential bad witness and surpassed any evil that David, his father, did. Brothers and sisters, you know, we, I'm going to take you back thousands of years and then I'm going to bring you to 2015. And we might say, and listen, I don't know any, if any of you are monarchs, let me know. I don't think there's any monarchs in this room. But the things we do today will have ramifications for the future. And Satan is very patient, so just keep that in mind. It would be a shame if we didn't learn something about this man's life that we can apply to our own lives. Now, we're told about the gods of the pagans. Molech was a fire god. They made him out of metal, and he had outstretched arms, and they heated his, you know, the metal. He was obviously a false idol, but then they would take their infants, and they would sacrifice their babies to Molech. And, of course, the baby would burn to death. So uh, it's really, it's horrible. You wonder why God said, don't be with these people, unless you could influence them for positive, they're going to influence you from some really bad stuff. Although today, when we look at abortion, um, we just have a technologically better way to do it in our society. And I'm being, I'm being facetious. Um, you know, when last year or the year before, the Dr. Kermit Gosnell was doing some horrific things, and listen, the parts were starting to pile up and such. It was I'm not going to go into detail. And then the newest thing that we find out is a, a, a secret recording of a Planned Parenthood doctor that talked about, well, hey, let's not throw the parts out. Let's sell them for money. 
Might as well make a profit off of it. So this is what's going on, and I feel I need to say this. As a, as a man, it's very easy for me to talk against abortion. I don't have the ability to have an abortion. And I, and I know many women who have, and every woman that I know carries a, a deep regret inside of them. Now, Jesus came to free us of our sins. Anyone who's had an abortion or multiple abortions, and they trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that's covered. God does not want us to live in regret. And I feel like I need to say that when I talk about this. But let's go back to Molech. You know, they did it their way. We do it our way in society. What's really changed? People are people. Ashtoreth, the Phoenicians called her Astarte, and the Assyrians and Babylons called her Ishtar. Um, She was the fertility moon goddess associated with prostitution, free prostitution that that was associated with worshipping her, divination and fortune-telling. So this is what we have, and, and they all have their, as it says, it's an abomination. These gods were hideous, they were demonic, and it would cause the implosion of society. I don't know how much American culture has left to it, all the stuff that's going on, but it doesn't look good. Verse 9, so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So God rebukes Solomon, and Solomon doesn't listen. And the Lord appears to Solomon twice. That's phenomenal. You know, listen, we pray to God, we have God every day, but this was more of a dynamic manifestation that for him, the Solomon, I mean, the Apostle Paul got taken up to the third heaven. This is fantastic stuff. How do you turn away from a God who has that who wants that type of relationship with you. Although, you know what, I've seen some weird stuff in uh, 13 years of ministry, 12 years, so nothing surprises me anymore. I've seen people that, you know, God has done incredible things in their lives and they turn away from God, even today. Again, nothing surprises me anymore. And I gotta tell you, even when it comes to, on a smaller scale, dry seasons. Do we go through dry seasons because God left us? Who left if we go through dry seasons? Right? We have to understand this. When we look at Solomon's life, maybe he, he leaned on those past manifestations and now he's just doing his own thing and think it's going to carry him. But we also have to look at our lives and you know, past blessings aren't going to carry us through this present and future life. This is why the Bible is very clear that we need to have a continuous and daily walk with the Lord. Right? You know, it's something that we need to be careful of. Jesus speaks about old wineskins versus new wineskins. Holy Spirit, every year, every few years, Holy Spirit changes things. And we've got to follow his lead. We can't look at the glory days of the past and start living in the old days. Religion does that. You know, God wants to do something new. I'm going to tell you, Calvary Chapel needs to be careful of that too. God's doing a new work. He's doing, he says, new wineskins. And we've got to be open to what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Verse 11. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, by the way, he gave Solomon a lot of time to do this, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son 
for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So back then it was a big deal. Again, we look at 2015 and say, oh, wow, he, he skated. No, he didn't. And I'm going to talk about that. It was a big deal back then to leave a positive legacy, especially if you were a king, to your especially male children. But God promised him that the kingdom is going to be wrenched from his son Rehoboam's hands. Now, Rehoboam was a product of his father. When we look at next, the next chapter, he's, he's a bit of a jerk. <laughs> he's a bit of a, a, a terse leader to his subjects. He gets good advice to, to love them and to maybe make some reforms, and he makes things worse. And then it leads to this tearing away from, from Rehoboam. Our application? What are we teaching our children? What are we doing in front of our children that could hurt them in the future? What ways do we have that maybe we, won't, we don't want our kids to have when they grow up? I think if we're honest with ourselves and we take it to prayer, we can all come up with something. I, I want my son to be more spirit-filled than me. I want my son to just really love the Lord. You know, I, I just want to see the a great thing that he's my only kid. And I want him, I really don't care what he does for a career. I want his heart to be right with the Lord. I want him to convict me by his light and his love for the Lord. That's what I want. So, what we're going to have is, in this situation, and we're going to see this in the next chapter, is that uh, ten of the tribes are going to pull away from, from Judah, but Judah is eventually going to have Benjamin. And those are the southern, king, uh, southern tribes in the kingdom. So let's compare. Remember when David sinned and Nathan had to come to him? The scripture spent a lot of time really talking about David's repentance. I find that missing here. Could Solomon have repented? Some argue that, and I'm going to get to that too, that in Ecclesiastes that's really a, a, a letter or a book of, of repentance. So we're going to talk about that, but it doesn't seem like he he gets the picture right away. And, and the Lord has to actively raise up adversaries and pursue him. Um, again, my opinion is that, that he lacks, at least initially, repentance. Verse 14, as we continue, it says, Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king in Edom, for it happened when David was in Edom, and Job, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom, that Hadad fleed, fled to go to Egypt, and he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran, and then they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt who gave him a house, a portion food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tophanes. Then the sister of Tophanes bore him Genubath, his son, whom Tophanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. Now when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Job, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Let me go back to Israel. Or I'm sorry, let me go back to Edom. Then Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered nothing, 
but do let me go anyway. So God raises up three adversaries against Solomon, and you know he, he does this thing, and he starts uh, Solomon and, and Israel starts to get harassed from different areas. Um, first one is Hadad the Edomite. It's interesting that, remember in the first verse, first few verses, Solomon had a harem, and he had Edomite women in his harem. And I believe he, Solomon had a lot of issues with this whole multiple women thing, but one of them was that he made treaties with other nations through having different princesses be a part of his, his harem. So check it out. Solomon has Edomite women. Don't know how many, but it didn't help him here. It's a scary thing when we try to go outside the Lord's will and do have other things protect us and insulate us, and then we find out that they don't protect us and insulate us. What are we relying heavily upon? What are we subconsciously desiring to hedge our bets to protect us because we don't fully trust the Lord? In addition, all these business dealings with the Egyptian princess that we read about way in the beginning. You know, the buying the horses from Egypt. And what does Egypt do? They receive Hadad. So you've got two people, high-profile people, now working against Solomon. Now, this could have been a new pharaoh, not bonded to Solomon, or he could have been the old pharaoh that God raised up to turn his favor from Solomon, which in this case we would have four adversaries, actually. Again, so this harassment now comes from the southern border of Israel. Things were good for a while. Verse 23, And God raised up another adversary against him, Rezin, the son of Iliada, who had fled from his lord, Hadadezer, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders. When David killed those of Zobah, and they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Actually, Syria is a very ancient country. Syria is in the news a lot. Syria will take some type of, um, Damascus will take some type of strike and that's in Isaiah 17, hasn't come to pass yet, we probably will see it in our lifetime, some serious strike. But Syria has always been Syria. Egypt has always been Egypt. Iran uh, was Persia, right? You see a lot of um, Iraq was part Assyria and part Babylon. The names change, but the countries, the geography is always the same. So it's amazing if, you know, the, the United States is a pretty young country. If you go overseas, I tell you, there's museums, there's stuff. It's a shame. ISIS is coming in and and really sanitizing history. They're coming in and destroying artifacts that prove the Bible, right? They're actually going in and destroying monuments. They're burning uh, ancient documents. And there's still a lot left, but it's uh, a pretty horrible thing to watch history being destroyed in front of our eyes. History is extremely important. So Syria, ancient Um, We have this other adversary that rises up against uh, Israel and Solomon. This is Rezin of Damascus. So he now harasses Israel from the north. So you got harassment from the south, harassment from the north. And continue in verse 26. Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. 
And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way and had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. So this guy Jeroboam, Solomon takes notice of him, and he raises him up and puts him in charge of important stuff. And um, Ahijah the prophet has a message from God to Jeroboam to get him to turn on Solomon. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they, not just him, Solomon, they, they had a bad example, their king, they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemash, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler of the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. Imagine that, hearing this news, if you're uh, Jeroboam. Wow, I, I don't know if I was ready to be a, a ruler of ten tribes, but you know, it's amazing how God does this and moves people around, and he, his, he's sovereign. And to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart's desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed... Now, he, he repeats this. Any ruler, God says the same thing. And really, there's... It's the same thing for us. Are we following his word or are we not? So here's Jeroboam. He's got some authority, and then God says, you're going to be the ruler over the northern kingdom. You're going to have a lot of people under you. And then he repeats this conditional promise to Jeroboam, as he did with Solomon and David and Saul, and Saul didn't heed it. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, do what is right in my sight, keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David. I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. So here's Solomon's response. God's doing this thing. Solomon doesn't accept it. Now he's fighting against God. So he seeks to kill Jeroboam, who's going to be the future leader over more than half of Solomon's kingdom. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Uh, let's see, yeah, 40. So the third adversary that God raises up against Solomon is Jeroboam. So you got one from the north, one from the south, now he's got one from within. Here's a guy that he personally raised up and gave him authority, position, probably trained him. And God is going to use this man to turn on Solomon and, of course, his son Rehoboam. So there's a lot. this is what sin does to us. You know, it's like a, the proverbial fruit that a worm got into and starts eating the inside. But the skin really looks good. 
Then you go to take a bite out of the fruit and it's rotten. You know, and maybe the eggs from the, the bug was planted and you just, ugh, it's nasty. But this is what sin does to us. We may still look good on the outside. Things may still be running okay, but the inside is starting to rot. Yes. So Jeroboam and many in Israel, they grow weary of Solomon. And, and God said that this would happen. His lavishness, his expansion, his taxing, his conscripting into the army. And God decides now is the time that I have to deal with this. I have to divide the kingdom because of idolatry. And Ahijah the prophet comes to Jeroboam, tells him of his future, and instead of repenting, Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam. Now, is there a mathematical problem? I mean, we all know simple addition, right? He says, here's ten pieces, but the Bible says you're going to have one tribe. So ten plus one equals eleven. Well, we're going to find in the next chapter that um, that Benjamin comes alongside of Judah. So there's two in the south and ten in the north. And we'll talk about that. Listen, God can either make things smooth in our lives, he can direct our paths, as Proverbs 3 says, or we can not listen to God, as I said Sunday, and uh, we can start turn, turning away from God and not enjoy the peace and prosperity anymore. And that was what happened to Solomon. This constant harassment, pecking, picking, eventually will wear a person down. And I believe that Solomon started to see the decline of his kingdom. You know, now he's chasing people around. You know, he's got to fight off skirmishes. He's going after Jeroboam. You know, he's, in mentality, he's starting to go like the way of King Saul, right, many, many years ago. Was the surrounding nations, as they saw this decline, still impressed with the wealth of the kingdom? Probably not. It's a sad thing when you build something for so many years and watch it crumble faster than it took the time to build it. You know, we can say this about reputation, too. Some take decades to build a reputation, and in one event, if it's bad enough, poof, it's gone. It's a lot easier to wreck a structure than it is to build it. It takes a lot more time to build. doesn't take much time to wreck. Good lessons for us. God took that protection away from Solomon, and, you know, we, we see a similar thing. You know, the Bible tells us that God took his spirit from Samson. Remember Samson? He took his spirit from King Saul. Right? Saul, Solomon, Samson, they had a lot of similarities. I'm glad my name doesn't start with S. Same. I'm not afraid of many things in life, but it would terrify me to know that God was actively working against me. Because how, how do you win in that situation? The smartest thing to do is to repent. And what it goes to show us is that if we're not in God's will, all the preparation, all the protection is not going to help us. Now, don't get me wrong. God's not an ogre. Remember, he gave Solomon a lot of time, as he did with David. And eventually, enough has to be enough. He's got to deal with sin. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Solomon was experiencing the reverse. If God is against you, who really can help you? Right? So Solomon was experiencing Romans 8.31 in, in the reverse. Remember, King Saul was so maddened when God stopped speaking to him, he cloaked himself, he put on a disguise, and he went to visit a witch to ask for advice. Man, that's a low point in life. Right? God offers so much. Why would we not take advantage of it? Verse 41. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, 
all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So King Solomon dies. The parallel scriptures are in Chronicles. When you go through Kings, they're very similar, right? But Chronicles is more of the, from the spiritual standpoint. Um, 2 Chronicles 9 seems to add that Nathan and Ahijah, the prophets, I think Ido, I think it was Ido the seer as well, were pretty much involved on and off in King Solomon's career in his 40 years of rule. Now, the last time we came together to, to talk about this, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, it did seem at the very end of the king's life that he did repent. The jury's still out. I'd like to believe that he did. Hopefully, that, that's what happened. Let me just take a moment to boil down just a few points of Solomon's life and legacy. The first one is, how could a man with so much wisdom be so foolish? How many Proverbs could we find that Solomon wrote that later on in his life he violated, <laughs> right? That he was at odd with his own words. Remember Jesus said to the religious leaders, do what they say because they know the law, but don't do what they do because they're hypocrites. They know the law, but they don't follow it. And yet, if we're not careful, we could be in the same place. Let's be honest, as a Christian, at some point in our walk, usually sometime, some point in the beginning, we think that we can sin and get some type of personal exemption from God. Oh, but my situation, how many times have you heard in counseling, you counseled somebody, no, but my situation is different, you don't understand. Okay, so all the people that came and went, you get to violate God's word because you have this amazingly unique situation that nobody's ever heard of, and God's, God's confounded by that too. It's silly, but it's, it's self-deception, and we do it as human beings. Two, this is a hard issue with Solomon. You know, women, to him, probably meant lust. It probably meant treaties. It probably meant so many different things. Sadly, I don't know if Solomon, maybe in Song of Solomon early on in his life, I don't know if he ever enjoyed a woman's company where she was a companion, like a long-term companion. With a thousand women, that's hard to believe. But he trusted in the things of the world. To do what he did and actually to use women as treaties and bargaining chips shows that he really didn't completely trust God. Three, Solomon's power caused him to be disobedient. You know, I've met believers who are so humble in the beginning. They're praying for a job. They're praying for this. They're praying for that. And they're so humble. And then they get it. They get some type of blessing or miracle. And they change. And you can see the pride start to well up. It's, it's really a horrible thing to watch. And now they get very puffed up and their whole demeanor changes. With Solomon, silver, gold, women, horses, you name it. He thought that the rules maybe didn't apply to him so much because he was the king. Again, some, some sort of privilege to disobey. Four, casting crowns, if you haven't heard it, check it out. Um, it's a song they, they made a long time ago. Go. It's called The Slow Fade. To them, they made a song about adultery, but in this case, it could be about any slippery slope. It starts off small, and then it becomes its gradual steps to our destruction. Solomon tolerated. 
Remember, he said Solomon went up to the temple to worship God. Awesome. But he had these pagan wives, and he tolerated their worship of their gods. Then he permitted it. He was permissive about it. Then he built altars for them, helped them to get the incense to burn. And then four, at some point, he participated in himself. You see this gradual declension into sin. It's a deceiver. Five, we can't sit at God's table and then sit at the table of the world, which is backed by demons, and not expect it to affect us. Right? Solomon was the world, the flesh, the devil. It was all very deceptive to him. He had no peace. He was tormented. You know, I've actually talked to people who have gone where they can't make up their mind. They're in God, and then they're in the world, and they go back. And I've actually said, you, you don't have peace. You're tormented. It's the Matthew 12 principle, which I've read many a times. Um, demon goes out of the man, looks for, goes through dry places, looking for someone else, place to find rest. Then he goes and sees his house is kept in order. The man, you know, got some spirituality, got cleaned out somehow. Goes back, takes seven more demons, and the man's last state is worse than the first. It's something you don't fool around with. Six, the whole wealth issue in Christianity, the prosperity gospel. This is, I have a real problem with this, as you know, if you've heard me preach for a while. You've got these guys in ministry under the guise of being pastors, and they're competing. They're, whose ministry is bigger? Who's got more members in their church? Who's got the biggest million-dollar house? Who has more jets? One guy's got a jet hangar. He's got multiple jets. Really? It, it, you know, and I think that Calvary Chapel needs to be careful, too. Because it's this crazy mentality that more is better, bigger is better. When we try to keep up with the Joneses in accumulating stuff, and we fail, the Joneses are, if your name is Jones, I apologize, it's an expression. The Joneses are only more too happy to see that you didn't achieve what they did, and they're good to watch you fall. When we're in the rat race for stuff to accumulate things, honestly, don't think that God is going to be in it with us. Ecclesiastes 5.10 that that Solomon wrote at the end of his life. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Vanity, vanity is meaningless. We're almost done. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, listen, we're done. Solomon had, has a huge effect. And I tell you, the prosperity gospel loves to quote this guy. Do you really want to be like Solomon? I don't. Too many, too many... <laughs> said Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Solomon had false gods. I don't want to be like him. I don't know how anybody, they just must not know their Bible or they don't care. They're taking it out of context. Lastly, for those of us that desire the higher calling of ministry, you know, this can happen in ministry too. Listen, when I'm up here, I'm talking to counseling, I'm talking to, you know, everyday life. I'm also talking to those that desire ministry. Some of you might just take off, but take the manageable flock that God gives you and be content with it. Sometimes in ministry, people go from the humble David to the prideful Solomon, and eventually things get ruined by their own hands. You know, sometimes when a thing is too big, especially in ministry, now you have to start putting hirelings, and you know what that means, hirelings in charge of the flock, because it's bigger, it's growing, it's and they just love it. It's just boom, 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 boom. So you start to raise up people. You don't even know them. They're hirelings. And you put them in charge of the flock. 
that God has entrusted to you. That's dangerous. I'm going to close with two sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ while he was on the earth. Number one, Matthew 6, 28 through 30. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Now, remember, lilies of the field in that region were wild lilies. They were pretty flowers that just sprang up. And people would take them, uproot them, and dry them, and then use them for fuel. But they were everywhere. But listen to what Jesus speaks about this wild flower. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory, all his gold, all his purple, all his ivory, all his animals that he had, you know, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? One more, Matthew 16, 26, I quoted it before. For what profit is it to a man that he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I'm not saying that happened to Solomon, but Jesus is making a very pointed point about wealth. The spirit of Solomon is not a good one. And I hope that if any one of us are tempted and something comes our way, and it's big, and it may be from the Lord, Solomon got wisdom and wealth, but he abused it. I just pray that while we're in this small gathering, that we would remember it and think back to this message, because it may happen to very few of us, but it may happen to some of us, that we remember the spirit of Solomon and not take that bait. Let's pray.